Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. When you actually know, like I said, like on a subconscious level, what these foods are doing in your body and how they're helping you or how they're hurting you, you're just going to make different decisions automatically. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with the click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com and let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. Today on The Less Stressed Life, we're going to talk about where we're getting diet advice and metabolism and all of the things that contribute to kind of a broken metabolism, which is sort of one of those gray terms that we think we understand and we don't always understand. So 
To help us unwrap this, I brought in Megan Kober. Megan is a registered dietitian and founder of the Metabolism Makeover, a blog, brand, and nutrition coaching business that focuses solely on helping women fire up their metabolism as a means to drop fat instead of the traditional reduced calorie diet. She hates calorie tracking apps and is a big fan of strong and dirty vodka martinis and knows exactly what it's like to feel frustrated and broken over the lies she's been told by the diet industry. Thanks for that totally going against the grain bio that you shared with me, Megan. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Yes, that's me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So people will sometimes ask like, where do these guests come from? Megan is a friend of a friend, a friend of a few friends actually. And so I've known her and her work for a couple of years. And I thought, you know what? I feel like the undertones of your story, the big piece that sounds really sexy is making over the metabolism. But the sneaky piece behind the scenes is that you have a personal story and that there is a lot of personal stories in the nutrition world that have to do with maybe not the best health habits. And that's not like a a diss. It's like a, we come by this honestly through the world. So why don't you open it up with telling us your story and why you even give a heck crap about this topic in the first place? Yeah, for sure. Well, when I was in school to be a dietitian, I remember sitting in class and learning about you know just how to coach people how to teach people how to lose weight and i was really excited about this because that's a lot of what i wanted to do when i went to school i wanted to help people just you know feel good and be healthy and and help with weight loss and you know just really basic stuff i wasn't really into i didn't want to do anything really clinical or really medical i just wanted the basic like i just want to help people feel good and i remember very clearly that first like week in this class that I had being told that we had to go home and track our calories. This was a part of a project that we were doing to go home and track our calories and shoot for a specific number based on how many calories we needed to eat per day. And this of course was based on a math equation, figuring out our basal metabolic rate and then times it by our activity level. And if we needed to lose weight, which was determined by our ideal body weight. And I don't even remember that fully, but that was some random number that someone made up at some point, then we could put ourselves in a calorie deficit by like, you know, 500 calories, a thousand calories, just kind of depending on where our basal metabolic rate landed. And we just shouldn't go below 1200. So this was an actual project that we <laughs> to go home and do as dietitians. And I thought it was cool at the time. I was like, okay, well, this sounds cool. Like it sounds pretty easy. You can go home and I'll just, we didn't have my fitness pal back then. So, you know, I'm writing down in my food diary every single day. And long story short, I got really obsessive about it because turns out that in order to hit this ideal body weight, I had to weigh five pounds less and I'm a pretty small person. So (laughs) this was extremely unnecessary for me to even attempt to be losing weight. But as I got more and more obsessed with calories and making sure that I was, you know, I wanted to eat high volume foods because I wanted to, I liked to eat. So had to eat things that were lower in calories, but higher in volume. And I kind of learned how to you know, manipulate the system into eating these diet foods that are sugar-free, fat-free, was eating extremely low nutrient-dense foods. And I was exercising. I was doing like 60 minutes of cardio a day. That was another thing that we learned was if you have patients that need to lose weight, they should be doing a minimum of 60 minutes of cardio a day, if not 90. So I'm doing all these things. And I actually, I did lose some weight to begin with. I think a lot of it was probably muscle. 
but it completely destroyed my relationship with food. And eventually I started to actually gain weight because as you and I know, (laughs) that only lasts so long. You know, I started binging. I eventually started purging. I I went through a period of, I mean, honestly, a few years on and off of binging and purging. And if I wasn't purging, I was at least just binging. And I gained about 20 pounds over the course of my time being in school to become a dietitian. You can imagine what that did for my self-esteem because here I am, like I'm going to school to help people feel good about themselves and to be healthy. And I knew that what I was doing was not healthy. I knew that this was totally screwed up. And I also felt like I was the only person in the world that was going through this. And what was so interesting is at my senior year, I had a class uh, where we were learning how to coach and do motivational interviewing and all that. And my teacher, we talked a lot about intuitive eating in that class. And this teacher was trying to get us to she knew, (laughs) she knew that most of the class was probably struggling with this because she had been around the block many times. I didn't know this. I thought I was the only one. And I remember in class one day, she had us all put our heads down and she said, everybody raise your hand. Don't look, but raise your hand. If you feel like you have disordered eating patterns or an eating disorder. And she afterwards told us that more than half the class had raised their hands. And I was shocked. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And I didn't blame school. I like, I didn't make that connection really until much later. I thought that this was something that just developed over time in me, but it didn't make the connection until later where I thought, no, like they put me on a diet, (laughs) you know? And I think there was probably some of that that started ahead of time too. You know, I think a lot of us that are just really interested in nutrition can tend to, you know, gravitate towards this profession where we want to be more obsessed with nutrition and we want to be more obsessed with our weight. So we go and we learn about it and we go and we major in it. But that was a very defining point for me was when, when we were learning how to teach our patients or our clients how to lose weight, that is what really took me down this really dark spiral over the course of several years into my disordered eating and also eating disorder. I had so many new questions that I wrote down while you were talking through that. (laughs) I was going to ask how long it lasted, but it was a couple of years. It was kind of school through through the end. So I would say a total of like five is where I had kind of up and down, but yeah, it spanned about five. Was that senior year intuitive eating class the catalyst to bring you back or what was the breaking point? No, it actually wasn't. I was in pretty deep at that point. I didn't believe that it worked. And I actually, I, I remember very briefly trying it. So we were learning all about intuitive eating and I thought, okay, like I'm going to go get a Snickers bar. Cause that's what I want to eat. And, but I just didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my body. I wanted it to work. And I thought this sounds really cool, but I was too scared. I was way too scared to eat what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So what had to happen for that to change? I think that's, it's important for us to see the end of that because it could have been a little bit, like it was probably a little bit ugly maybe before it got beautiful. And so like, when did it hit rock bottom and how did you fix it before we even get into the rest of this? Yeah. So what happened was when I was, it was shortly after I had become a dietitian. So I passed my boards and everything. And I was so frustrated. I mean, like I said, I was 20 pounds heavier. I was working out like crazy. And I was under eating and doing all the things. And I was so inflamed and I felt so awful. And I started reading about weightlifting and I I was only doing cardio. I was like a runner at this point, which is hilarious because I've never liked to run. (laughs) And 
hearing about, you know, weightlifting is like the way to go if you want to lose fat. And I was like, there's just no way you don't burn that many calories. And, you know, I'm calories in, calories out. This is what we learned. And I think I just, yeah, kind of hit rock bottom. And I was like, I got to do something different. Like I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. So I started weight training and I said, I'm not going to do any exercise or I'm not going to do any cardio for like a month. And it was crazy where I'm at now. It's crazy to think that I had such quick results because I probably, I just can't imagine how much I broke my system at that point with my disordered eating, but it worked. My body was responsive. Luckily, I think I was young enough still. And I, the fat just started coming off and I was like, yeah, I felt better because I wasn't beating myself up every day. I was still eating was a little off. It was not great, but the exercise portion, and that made me think to myself, okay, well, if this worked and everything that I learned kind of told me that this wouldn't work because I'm burning less calories in a weightlifting session than I am running seven miles a day, then what else was wrong? Like what else did I learn that is, is was contributing to my problems? So that was kind of the turning point. And I can't say that overnight I completely shifted, but it was slow and steady from there. I started eating more. I just started, you know, including more foods into my diet that I normally wouldn't eat as I kind of researched, well, how do I support myself weightlifting? Oh, okay. I do have to eat some carbs, you know, and I start saw amazing changes in my body and that'll convince you. Yeah. You mentioned this as well, but there's a couple of things that came from that for me, which was that you had pretty quick results, which is always gratifying because we always want it to be quick. And I think one of the things that contributes to that is if you are in your younger years, you tend to be more resilient. You haven't killed your, all your adrenal cells yet over like chronic, chronic. I mean, a couple of years is a long time, but when you do it for 10 years back and forth, it takes a lot longer to unravel it. And so when you're 22 ish, you know, just graduating, you're probably in a little bit better place. So that's good. And I think maybe useful for everyone to hear because we all want the exact same results as someone else. But in general, people who are younger tend to be more resilient because we haven't killed as many cells yet through our stress response. Absolutely. We talk about this in my program, like depending on how long you've been doing this, that you can expect to take a lot longer than Mm -hmm. someone who's maybe been doing this for two years. If you've been doing it for 20 years, like you might not see any results for six Mm -hmm. months. You might not see any results for a year, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's really hard to hear, but there's a lot of repair that has to be done. It also brought up a, a thought or something I feel like I've heard a lot in the past. So I very am like openly say I'm not talking about weight loss because weight loss is such a secondary thing for primary causes, which is, I know what you talk about as well, but I will hear this comment. I used to be able to lose weight easily from XYZ restriction, exercising more. And now I feel like I'm stuck or whatever. And that's really like an early sign of some of this, right? Like it doesn't, you don't get to do the same things forever. And people will say it at a certain age, it kind of shifts. What do you want to say about that? If anything, I think there's a few things that are happening. First of all, if you've been doing this over and over again, your metabolism in general is just it's slowed down. It's, I don't want to say it's broken because it can be repaired, but if your metabolic health is not prime and as we get older, everything is a little slower, right? Everything is, it takes a little bit longer. It takes us longer to recover. You know, anybody over the age of 40, I always say like, you can't work out seven days a week. You can't even work out six days a week. Like you need probably three days of rest because your body just, it doesn't adapt as well. So if your metabolic health is not prime, then you're going to have weight loss resistance because unfortunately our metabolism, it is important, but like 
Fat loss and a speedy metabolism is not keeping us alive. <laughs> inflammation, now that's a problem. And if you have inflammation, if you have, if your sex hormones are screwed up, if your adrenals aren't working properly, these are the things that can really cause serious problems in your body. And your body is just trying to keep you alive. So you know, that's kind of how I explain it. It's not super scientific, but these other issues that have gone awry because you haven't been fueling yourself properly for years that's the priority. And so that's when you start to see the weight loss resistance is when you got a lot of pieces that are broken. And until you heal those, your body's probably just not going to let go of weight. So much to add to that, right? Gut health and anything your brain views as a stressor because inflammation first is a protective mechanism. And then chronically it's causes us to just feel puffy. So want to get into a checklist for what helps us break our metabolism because it's so sneaky. And then it's really uncomfortable to shift our thoughts around it. Just like you were doing cardio for an hour and feeling really comfortable, quote unquote. But you know what I was thinking when you were describing where you were, what was good for you was you had resilience. You had good mitochondria. You were young. So you had like, we know in our twenties, we're actually quite resilient. We can actually get away with a lot less sleep. I know that does shift. (laughs) That does shift sleep. We can drink every night. Like my God. (laughs) Yeah. There's all those things that we can do that we can't, you know? So I was thinking for someone who is in their thirties, forties, or fifties, under eating and over exercising is normally a real recipe for fatigue. Do you remember feeling that or seeing that at that time in your life or not really? Yeah, probably. But I was also just, I mean, I was over consuming caffeine. I was just barely sleeping. I was, uh, I was also bartending at the time to get by, you know, because we don't get paid anything when we're uh, interns. So yeah, I mean, I would say I was probably chronically exhausted, but also compared to like it could not physically do that now. So it's easy. I do think it's easy when you're in your twenties or if you're just a person who has just genetically more energy, it's easy to just ignore that and to get through it for quite a while until your system breaks. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to go back to before we get to like what causes things to break overall, like obviously and sneaky, but going back to really this kind of almost innocent time, which is in class, you know, some people could gasp or at the same time, when you were sent home with that assignment, part of the thought process there is like giving you experience. Like how can you recommend something you haven't tried yourself? Right. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just, you know, that kind of makes sense why they send you home with this potential experiment that you have to do. But for you, it was a trigger. And really there's probably some things that are going on before that or tendencies in general. What do you think about well, let's back up even more. The dietetics or nutrition, the people who go to school for this for a bachelor's or master's, scientifically, there's a large number of disordered eating. You said in your class, it was greater than 50%. That's a normal statistic. That is the average, right? I mean, that's how I, the number I know is that half of the people going to school are struggling with some type of disordered eating, right? Yeah. So for you, what would you think about like, what behaviors did you have that maybe made you more prime for that experience? Do you feel like you had perfectionist tendencies already and like type A tendencies where you wanted to get things just right? Or like, what do you think was kind of all ruled into that ball of what is our overall personality type that kind of like allowed that to be a break, a breaking point for you? Yeah. So I would say I'm a super high achiever. Yeah. Need to be the best at everything. I am an Enneagram three. When I was in high school, I 
linked nutrition with performance because I started actually reading fitness magazine when I was probably in 10th grade. I wanted to be a faster swimmer. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do all the things that I can to be a faster swimmer and to be better. And I really cleaned up my diet at that time. It was not in any sort of disordered eating patterns, but I just, I linked like if I eat better, I feel better. And so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do think I had that. I took it a little too far because again, like gotta be the best. Got to And I got it. That's just who I am. Like I gotta take everything. Human tendency. It's a human tendency yeah. also to like overdo <laughs> yeah. everything. It's like, this is good yeah. for me. So I'll do a lot more of it. Exactly. Exactly. Like how much, like how healthy, how quote, I'm doing quotes, how healthy can I be? Like <laughs> how far can I push this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that then also I lost some weight at that point. I felt really good about myself. This was in high school. And so I'm also linking like, okay, if I'm eating well, I like my body better. And I started to get a little more obsessed with my body and what it looked like. And so this thought of, okay, tracking your calories and, you know, this like blueprint for weight loss was really intriguing to me. And again, I took it too far. Yeah. What I heard there was like wanting more, which is a normal human tendency. It's not even very unique. It's like a normal human behavior to want more. And then body image was a big deal. And that's such a gray term, but you know, overall body image cues come from everywhere literally everywhere in our environment. So that is a whole different package to unwrap, but let's get into kind of almost a checklist or like, let's name off how we can break our metabolism over time, because I've accidentally done it too. And Mm -hmm. not in the same way you did, but more like unhealthy habits. Well, I mean, really, actually, it's probably the most, you know, similar innocent start. Like I was working on a fasting program and there's definitely research-based benefits to have fasting, but sometimes when you get busy, you also do the less optimal thing of something. Example, not to pick on vegetarians, but this happens with vegetarians all the time. You go vegetarian for maybe health reasons, maybe ethical, whatever. It doesn't even matter the reasons that someone goes. It's very popular in the teenager, like in teenagers right now, from my understanding, to go vegetarian, to go vegan. But what can happen is like then life resumes. At first, it's like, oh, I did a really good job, like getting a lot of nutrient dense foods. And then I go out to eat. There's actually nothing to eat on the menu. So I just get like plain pasta. And that's like it, right? And so I love pasta a lot. But but there's just not as much nutrient diversity as there used to be. So in a similar way with the fasting program, what happens is a lot of times you skip your breakfast and just start eating later on. But after a while, when you get busy, you start drinking coffee and then you skip breakfast. And then you're kind of like, you've really created a cortisol and a stress situation, which now causes inflammation and you're actually gaining weight, which is adorable. Right. And so, and so what you just described is my favorite one on the checklist, because that mm -hmm. one is so, I mean, I see that all the time. Mm -hmm. You mean having coffee for breakfast or skipping breakfast or both? Well, same thing. The whole thing. We said like the intermittent fasting, and then you start to get used to, you get used to it. You're not really hungry. You're it's, it's suppressing that. that Yes. Yes. And then you're like, yeah, I usually eat at 11, but I don't really need to eat. You know, I'm really not that hungry. And like, oh, I, I just have a little bit of coffee. And, and then all of a sudden, like you're not eating until two o'clock every day. Mm -hmm. And you're by the way, super undernourished because one of the reasons people feel good on, so it has benefits, but if we think about it, our ancestors also were not starving all the time. Like when they were able to eat, it has a cycling mechanism and there's certain like 
I would say it's best for short-term pieces if you have a good food relationship. <laughs> From other than that, I think that you need to be careful with it. But one of the issues is when someone tells me that they go keto or they're fasting, and I feel like those two swim in the same pool lane, they can be because when you're running on fat instead of carbohydrates, sometimes you're in a fast state or whatever, right? And so when people tell me they feel so good on that, that's not necessarily like good for you. I'm glad you feel good on it. But I think you've just also told me you potentially have some gut and digestion issues, maybe, right? Because if you've eliminated an entire food group and in the short term, you feel good, it's because you're starving all your good and your bad bacteria. That's how I feel about it. But I look through that lens all day long. So I'm a little biased that way, right? Not everyone... I'm sure that apply to everyone, <laughs> but I'm a little biased. We all are a little bit biased in our own directions. And so when people tell me that I'm like, well, I wonder when, how long that will feel good for you. Right. Or someone will say like, I have more clarity if I don't eat in the morning. Well, the food isn't the problem, right? You're not digesting it. You have other stuff going on, right? Yeah. You should feel good from eating number one, but you said something really important, which was appetite getting suppressed. And so this is why this becomes really not like a one, two minute conversation. It's really uncomfortable because we've created this process over time. Like it was fine for a while. And then my appetite was suppressed and now I've put on weight, but what I've been imprinted with my entire life was to eat less and exercise more. And that's going to fuel that fire. Anyway, continuing on with the checklist, you said lack of hunger as a side effect. I just want to put that. So we have fasting, hunger suppressed, coffee for breakfast, skipping meals, like what else all fits in this? Uh, Over-exercising. So we can add the exercising in with that, like fasting, high-intensity interval training, coffee, or probably coffee, and then high-intensity interval training, and then eating later in the day and any sort of over-exercising. But I think adding that in is another behavior that Mm -hmm. I see a lot that is, again, going to boost your cortisol. And what I was going to say too, when people say that they feel really good, eating this way or not eating this way, I guess you should say is it also feels really good to run on cortisol. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can. So that's for a while, reason. for a while, for a while, eventually until you burn out of it, and then you've just until- exhausted. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, over-exercising is definitely on that list. So we said this in different okay. ways, but undernourishing, I think is the big yeah. conversation is like, if you don't eat till two, you're probably not going to get enough nourishment in. And if you already yeah. have some gut and digestion, like if you eat fast and you eat at your desk, you're already not going to digest well, just like, that's how that is. You're not going to get the nutrients. So undernourishing and in so many, like, it's like all of these things overlap. <laughs> so it's all, You have to define it in different ways, but it's essentially yeah. under eating. It's essentially the overall theme is undernourishment and expecting your body to do more with less is what it feels like. It is. I mean, that's just, yeah. across That doesn't mathematically work out later on. Like your body is so cool. It's like loaning money from someone, you know, it's like, I'll take the check for now. Right. Like, but then it's like, I just, I can't keep doing this for you body. So it's like, just has to settle. It just like, it just crashes almost. So undernourishing in capacity of not eating meals, but also restricting food groups. Right. Yeah. Because carbohydrates are such like our carbohydrates. Yeah. Restriction of carbohydrates because people have been on all kinds of diets where restricting carbohydrates reduce bloating and yeah. reduce, I mean, cause it's digestion 101, right? Like if you don't digest carbohydrates, they ferment and you cause bloating and gas. So it's yeah. a gut and digestion <laughs> yeah, and issue. The water. I mean, simply, right. even if you don't have gut issues, yeah. holding on to water, so you cut it out for a day, you're going to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you restrict what happens next? Then you are like, I remember a woman who said to me one time, oh, I thought potatoes were bad. And then she's telling me how she's like in the pantry and ate a a box of cookies. And she's like, well, that was stupid. And I was like, 
One, that's not a helpful thought. Let's not beat ourselves up after over that. Two, who told you that potatoes weren't okay? You know, yeah. and who told you that eating a box of cookies was the right next choice, right? Like your brain told you that, right? I mean, the things came from other places, but sometimes it's not a criticism. It's like sometimes you can't see it when you're inside the bottle. That's all, you know, no. and you're like, but what happens after you restrict is binging. And so we see food relationship issues all over the place. I mean, for me, the food relationship issues, like for you, fasting and coffee and high intensity exercises, is your favorite situation. And I see one of my most common situations is restrictive dieting in the form of an elimination diet that just never goes away, right? Mm. There's no other step yeah. after that. So it's a different kind of undernourishment. So yep. Can we even come up with anything besides undernourishment, Megan? Or is that like what it's all going to come back to? Well, I mean, I think undersleeping is is something that you mm-hmm. could definitely throw in there. Yeah. Um, and this is a huge problem. And I think adding on to the, the stimulants, I don't know how much you see this, but not just caffeine, but Adderall abuse and these things that I think I might see this more because I have ADHD and I do have an Adderall prescription. I take it. And so I'm very hyper aware of it suppresses your appetite. And, you know, I have a lot of clients that are taking it and they're like, I'm not eating all day. And, you know, they like it. And they're like, you know, I'm losing weight. But then I see the other end of the spectrum where what happens is, is after years of this, they go off of it or they don't even go off of it, but they're under eating so much that they end up, their metabolism slows down and they end up losing weight also you know, it's similar to caffeine or it's even stronger than caffeine and that it's hyping up your system and your cortisol again. So both of those things, um, Mm -hmm. I think are adding to it. Well, you're just describing something I think that's important because what happens if we run on cortisol for a long time is we're either pushing on the gas or we're driving the speed limit or we're speeding, which is high cortisol or we've run out of gas. And so if you speed for a long time, you might blow through gas faster. And then if you're not repleting it, I like this analogy, (laughs) but if you're not repleting it, you run out of gas. And then the only way you actually feel good is false cortisol stimulation through caffeine sources. Yeah, exactly. Like annoying. It's not annoying (laughs) when when things break down overall. It is so annoying. Well, it actually happened to me recently with the adrenals and with, I actually had a copper overload and I felt like I was dying for about Mm -hmm. three months. And I went to our mutual friend, Robin, and I was like, please fix me. Like just anything that it'll take. And yeah, you kind of have to like, that makes you really stop and pause and say, wow, like I have to really make sure that I'm doing all the things every single day. Like go to bed at 10 o'clock, Megan, like eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, increase your carbs, stop drinking caffeine. Like, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. well, and in reality, like what you just described there is not an unreasonable combination or equation, but it's met with a lot of resistance because of how we've set up our, it's really our thoughts that have like kind of created a burden for us and created quite a, a little bit of a mess. And we all hit a breaking point before we realize it. Right. I don't really even know how I was like, Oh, I think my metabolism is actually kind of screwed up. I was like, that was an unhealthy habit that just was born out of like one experimenting that turned into busy laziness (laughs) and then turned into like exhaustion, like an exhaustion. Like at the end of the day, after seeing clients all day long, I was like, I felt like someone stepped on me a little bit. Like I was just done. Right. Or I was resentful about 
having appointments on my scheduled day off because I actually needed it to recover. I actually didn't think I was fatigued. I just thought I was like spent at the end of the day. Isn't it funny how we have to say things differently for them to resonate properly? I like describe the same symptom four ways sometimes. So it resonates properly with people, but I find this whole picture pretty dang uncomfortable for people. And so I'm glad we got to unwrap it a little bit today. So, okay, let's review a little bit and see what we've missed so far. So we got through the story, which is like in our profession, there's a lot of type A um, perfectionist tendencies, but in the world there is, right? I mean, it's probably, if there's only type A and type B, then I suppose at least half of a half of <laughs> right. us are perfectionist tendencies. And so it just takes the right situation to kind of like set someone off or be the straw that breaks the camel's back. In our younger years, we tolerate it. In our older years, the recipe for fatigue is undernourishing, whether it's sleep or nutrition or hydration or whatever is like those life-giving things that need to be in line. And it might look like gaining weight or not being able to lose weight like you used to, or just feeling like something's really screwed up here. Like this life I'm living just isn't really like adding up to the thing I want it to be. So we talked through like a good checklist for breaking metabolism, which was like fasting, then hunger suppressed, coffee for breakfast, over-exercising, or the combo, your favorite fasting plus hit books, coffee, plus eating later in the day, running on cortisol in general, which is all that undernourishing of sleeping, restricting carbohydrates, and then adding in stimulants, which was a really good one. Was there anything else we should add to that list? I felt like we hit them. Like those are like really common ones and just giving them giving personal, like those personal examples, I think help them land a little bit. Cause we don't always think that these apply to us do do we? Right. Right. And we didn't even talk about just like life stressors. Mm-hmm. I think that's typically what we think about when we think about stress, but all of these things go into this bucket and, you know, once it overflows and that's why I think, you know, there's some people who they're like, I love intermittent fasting. It works great for me. And then other people do it for literally a month or two. And they're like, I lost my period. I'm broken. And it all just depends on what all you have in that stress bucket. It depends on your DNA too, but just adding to that, being able to really being able to control your life stress as well. And that of course could be an entirely different podcast. It's an all day conversation. And I will just, and I will just like volunteer that stress looks so different for me when I was going for appointment to appointment, appointment, and like literally being excited about being in different and like bringing a lot of energy to it was actually also being read as cortisol. And I really had to pay attention to just how my heart was beating during calls and like the prep, the five minutes before, was I getting like stressed on being ready in time or, and all of those little things that like I was not really thinking was stress compared. I mean, we all have things like that. So we created a checklist for breaking metabolism, but you started, I think we could actually create a short list of like signs of a broken metabolism because you said loss of cycle or irregular cycle. Yeah. Weight gain. I would add bloating and digestive issues because I don't know what the prevalence is, the exact number, but if there's any type of all of these things are disordered eating, technically they may or may not fit in a box and it doesn't matter. It's just not the habits. If you want to make mathematical sense to your body (laughs) that you need to stimulate a good metabolism, but I would say bloating and digestive issues go hand in hand with the disordered eating history because we've reduced digestive capacity and we need to work on regaining it, which is just a little bit of a slow process. What else do you think, or do you see as side effects of a broken metabolism? Lots of hunger. Mm-hmm. And really loss of hunger, but also just screwy hunger signals, you know, just hungry at odd times or not hungry most of the day. So hunger signaling being off, but also at the same time, 
having cravings all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily feeling true physical hunger, but this is something I see a lot where, you know, oh, I feel like I have to eat all day. I'm always hungry mm-hmm. and it's not true hunger. It's just constantly needing the body's trying to fill something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in a more scientific form that actually has come up a lot this last week. And so what will I'll see is a suppressed, like you just described loss of hunger, suppressed hunger. And then as the adrenals, and this is, I'm thinking of a particular case where I knew the adrenals were in not in great shape. And so the adrenals produce DHEA, which regulates blood sugar metabolism. And so what was happening is as the adrenals, I call it like, I think I can, I think I can kind of climb mm-hmm. the hill. And as that starts to try to come back online, it's really uncomfortable because the pendulum swings almost fully the other way. And so if you have really unstable hormones production from your adrenals, because your cells are damaged because you've had high stress for a long time, then you can't actually regulate your blood sugar very well on your own. You need to do it really with food, which is regular consumption of all macronutrients, but you'll see cravings from that as well. And you can have blood sugar cravings or sugar cravings or salt cravings. And both of those can be adrenal signs and symptoms or gut signs and symptoms too. So anyway, throwing that in there as well. What else? Another really easy one that I love to do is just temperature in the morning, temperature and pulse. I think anybody can do that. And I think everybody should do it just to check in every once in a while. You mean doing, and also there are special devices for this. And then there's like the regular forehead one. And then there's the underarm one. And I right now cannot remember how those like can be off a degree, but anything else you want to say about basal body temp or pulse about, I love, well, I love using the forehead one is don't use that one. Use like the under the tongue one. Yeah. But anything that is like below 97.8 is you're looking at possibly, you know, underactive thyroid or just, you know, stress under system pulse. I'm trying to remember mine runs, mine runs higher in the morning. That's something I'm working on really hard to get it down, but I'm trying to remember now 78 below 78, 75, so maybe 75. You want it to be below 75 in the morning. Honestly, I just use my iPhone. I have a little app in the morning and it like, it, it's a, connected with my alarm, a sleep cycle alarm. And it just reminds me right away, like put your finger over the camera and it takes oh, it for I had me. no idea. That's yeah. Cool. And it tracks it. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I've never heard of that. Cool. So we did a little checklist of how you can break your metabolism, signs of broken metabolism. And then a lot of it is stuff that we know that's not always common, normal. And we don't know. To be honest, we don't. We don't always know. Like, there's certainly a lot of things that you're going to feel uncomfortable if you've broken your metabolism to regulating it. And it doesn't just happen super quickly overnight, unfortunately, but it is super fixable, right? It's fixable. There's a lot of opportunity. So, finally, and I think this is a really important question we talked about disordered eating prevalence of many styles in the people being trained to teach nutrition to the world. We know, you and I both know, like, Tons of other people are teaching nutrition to the world as well. I don't even really have feelings about that. I it's not something that I keeps me up at night at all. Um, I'm just like I'm just going to do a good job where I'm at. That's, 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 that's the real way to change the world. Do a good do yes. good work. Don't think you're don't think you're entitled to something, but do good work. But importantly, and actually, this is an issue even in other people giving you nutrition advice. If you've done a nutrition certification, I see this actually all the time experiences and your life experiences are so valuable and they change how you see the world. It's how we all work as humans. So sometimes when you're still in that phase of like, I'm so interested in nutrition. So I want to take a nutrition certification. Sometimes you're still like working on yourself. It's pretty common, right? And so 
the problem is, is like, that could be any situation it could be in the actual nutrition field where, or like traditional, like we did, or it could be in some other certification thing, but people going to school for this can still be handing out advice. So, and if we're handing, if someone is dealing with their own stuff and handing out advice and it happens, what's the answer here? How do we break this cycle from continuing to perpetuate itself forever? When I think back to my senior year, and I think of this teacher who was clearly trying to help break us from these this obsession with food, that I wish that would have been so much earlier. And you know, I don't know. Would one class have have made a difference? Maybe, maybe not. But I do think that it needs to be a bigger part of our curriculum because no, it's not going to necessarily apply to everyone. But I don't know what else we could do. Is you're just going to be if you are if you love nutrition, if you're obsessed with nutrition, if you're overly obsessed with nutrition to the point where it's disordered and it's unhealthy, that's not going to stop you from going and getting a nutrition degree. It's you know, and so the only thing that I think we could do is is try to correct it at that level. We could get into a whole can of worms here because I don't agree with the way that weight loss is taught. I don't think that our sole focus should be on calorie reduction and a calorie deficit. I wish we would have learned how to really work with, and I don't think, I don't think it works with clients and I don't think it works with patients in the hospital either. Mm -hmm. So I think it's completely ineffective. So maybe it's just also a matter of teaching these dietetic students a different way and teaching them how to teach their clients or their patients about their bodies and how they work. Like this conversation that we're having today, we're talking about metabolic health. Let's talk about metabolic health with our clients. Like they want to know if they're there and and maybe if you're working in a hospital, they don't necessarily want to be there talking to you. But I think that for the most part, people are really interested in how things work. I think they're interested in how their body works. And if they know, if you have that knowledge and education and skills, it gets into our more into our subconscious. And we're then able to make decisions about our bodies, our food decisions and our exercise decisions, and just all of our decisions in our life from more of a subconscious level. And we're not just telling ourselves like, I shouldn't eat that. I should eat this. You know, I should be going to the gym X number of times a week. When you actually know, like I said, like on a subconscious level, what these foods are doing in your body and how they're helping you or how they're hurting you, you're just going to make different decisions. Uh, automatically. And so that is really what I want. That's how I want weight loss to be taught uh, when we're actually in school becoming dietitians. I wrote out, we didn't say this, but the answer to losing weight might mean that you need to eat more. And I think sometimes that's like a question mark. And it's also really a relief as well. If people have tried to restrict. So a lot of ways, you know, you brought up the intuitive eating class and I'll just kind of comment that I think in nutrition, there's a lot of polarization sometimes. And I think we could do from an internal place before getting to the client facing side, I think we could be better about working together and not being so polarizing (laughs) all the time toward one another, because sometimes that happens. If people have come from disordered eating and they're in the intuitive eating world, they can really put some things on blast. It's not right or wrong, but sometimes we can be really polarizing instead of kind to each other and kind to our body. And I think it just like has a trickle down effect on how we like treat bodies and body images as well. So yeah, things the way they are, are broken and it's not uh, reserved for our, the nutrition profession. It's, it's in every profession to be honest. So I just think there's all 
there's just room for opportunity for us to improve. And I'm just going to keep doing my job over here instead of trying to applaud and support and uh, I'm thankful for the people making those glacial type changes in the policy part because it is kind of a challenge for them to oh, yeah. the curriculum that's been there for a long time. And that's how the entire, that's how, that's how medicine is in general. It takes a long time to, to change and to see changes. So yeah. real answer is about 20 years. I don't know how yeah, accurate that's, it's 17 in the research. Yes. So 20 years, essentially, once we have updated research before it trickles down and You see that with all kinds of things. It's like slow going to change. We're not necessarily overly progressive, but I also think like we have such a personal responsibility. We don't have to rely on someone else. We don't have to rely on someone with outdated information to be our guidance. And I think people tend to, I think that actually tends to be the situation and some people are bitter about it. And I think if we just point out, like if you're giving outdated and effective advice, maybe like you should change it. Right. Like, and you can have personal responsibility around that. So like do the work to learn, to educate, you know, if if no one's spoon feeding you the education, then it's a good time to learn. So, all right, Megan, where can people find you online? You can find me at on Instagram. I'm at Megan, the dietitian, and my program handle is the metabolism makeover. I'm also at metabolism makeover.co. I think those are the best places to find me. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.